as much as I would like, and I like half of you twice as much as you deserve. <laughs> My apologies to Bilbo. No, I'm kidding. I'm Brian. It is a real pleasure to stand here and share with you this morning. Uh, first and foremost, obviously, to the bakers, the senior leaders here at Zion. I am outrageously grateful and uh, honored to share the pulpit with, uh, with them and the rest of this amazing leadership staff. So thank you so much. Uh, and to you, thank you for, you know, you could be anywhere and you're here. For those of you who are online, you could be anywhere online, but you're here. So thank you for joining with us. Um, I'm going to kind of move quickly today. So I, I don't have a lot of time and I want you to just track with me if you can. And if you kind of get lost or if you're like, oh, they didn't have a chance to breathe long enough. Hopefully we can go back and listen to the recording and, and we can get the full, the full Monty, if you will. Um, why don't you join me in John 17? We're going to go right away into John 17. And, and John 17, for those of you who are aware, if you're not aware, this is this great area of scripture where you've got Jesus, he's praying. And I don't know about you, but I absolutely love when the word made flesh is sharing words with the Father. I just, there's something about that when Jesus is taking that specific, intentional, deliberate time to get before the Father and he's praying. And it's just this awesome dynamic exchange of, of the goodness of God and, and, and just all of the character of who he is. But I want to point out a couple things here from, from John 17 because everything else that we're going to share this morning is predicated here. Okay, so let's kind of keep that in the back of our mind. So John 17, this is, he's praying. He says, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son, the son that the son may glorify you. When I first got an email address, um, this was 2000, in 2000, right? It's my first email address in 2000. You want to know what it was? Glorify the son at AOL.com. Why did you choose that? Because I had this notion anybody that was going to email me, they'd be forced to be given glory to Jesus when they type my email address. Bless God. You've got mail. I never got any email, so my little crafty plan never worked. Nobody glorified the sun. Nobody sent me anything. It was the early days of email. Nobody knew what they were doing. All right, I wish I could say that now, right? I don't get any email. Wouldn't that be cool? All right, so here we are, John 17. He says, "Glorify uh, even, as you, even as you gave him authority over all flesh, that to all whom you have given him, he may give eternal life. This is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God in Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Hallelujah. I glorify you on the earth having accomplished the work which you have given me to do. Now, Father, glorify me together with yourself and the glory which, uh, with the glory that I had before the world was. I love this. He says, I have manifested your name to the men whom you gave me out of the world. They were yours. You gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now, they have come to know that everything you have given me is from you. For the words which you gave me, I have given to them, and they have received them, truly understood that I came forth from you, and they believed that you sent me. Okay, this is, this is heady, powerful stuff here. But now, here's what I want you to look at. Verse 9, he says, I ask on their behalf. I do not ask on behalf of the world. Okay, so here at this point in this dialogue with the Father, he's not talking about the world, okay? That's an important distinction, but just keep that in the back of your mind. It's not that he doesn't care about the world. It's just at this point in the conversation, he's talking not about the world. He's talking about the people that God gave him. So far, so good? He says, I ask on their behalf. I do not ask on behalf of the world, but on behalf of those whom you have given me. Anybody here in the room or online, do you qualify for being one of those that God has given to him? If that's you, put up your hand. Come on. You have one of those that he has given into the hands of Jesus. That's me. Amen. All right? Don't be bashful. 
we don't have to be bashful about that. This is the time where we can be loud and proud. And yes, he's talking about me. Glory to God. You are the ones that he had on his heart when he was talking to the Father. That's staggering. You are the one that he had searing into his beating heart as he's thinking and as he's talking to the greatness of, of God Almighty, the creator of all the universe. He saw you in his heart. I love this. He goes on from there. He says, all things that are mine are yours. Yours are mine, and I have been glorified in them. Now listen, verse 11. I am no longer in the world, and yet they themselves are in the world. Ask the person next to you, where are you? Go on the other side. Where are you? Okay, this is important. Jesus said, I am no longer in the world. How many of you know if Jesus is no longer in the world, if he's no longer in a certain spot, then that would leave a sizable hole. Yeah? Created by his absence. There would definitely be something missing. There's a vacuum there. Okay? Jesus isn't there. We know that there's a pretty big miss. There's a gap. Okay? But this is what he says next. He says, I am no longer in the world, but they are. Did you catch that? No hole, no gap, no vacuum. There's nothing missing because he isn't there. Are you with me so far? He keeps going on. I'll jump to verse 13. But now I come to you, and these things I speak, where? In the world. Okay, where are we? In the world. Okay, thank you. Come on, it's important. we got to locate ourselves. How many of you remember from Ephesians chapter 2, verse 6, right? We, we all can say it. We are seated with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Yes, Absolutely, there is no question in my mind that we are absolutely so positively seated upon the throne in the heavenlies with him. We've been established to that. Amen? We know that that is incontrovertible fact. Okay? That's where we're seated. And of the life that flows through us. How many of you remember Galatians 2.20? This is my absolute most favorite verse in all of scripture, Galatians 2.20, right? It is no longer I who lives, but it is Christ who lives within me. Come on, you remember that? It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives within me. Come on, say it with me. It is no longer I who lives, but Christ who lives within me. Say it again. It is no longer I who lives, but Christ who lives within me. Okay, we're not talking about semantics here. We're not talking about hyping ourselves up. What we've got to do is we've got to speak truth because oftentimes what goes through here, I don't know about you, but if you're anything like me, a lot of times what can go through here are some lies, some things that are kind of a little off. Anybody kind of like that, or am I the only one? Okay, there's three of us that are a little off, okay? <laughs> Next week, we're going to have this amazing seminar where everybody else teaches us how to be amazingly perfect. Guys, when, when, when we're living and we're breathing and we're going through the world, we encounter things. There's an enemy, old Slewfoot, who's trying to get us to misstep, who's trying to get us to go headlong into sin, right? And so we've got to get ourselves back to what he says. It's called truth. Anybody ever have a, a, a sozo? If you haven't, get a sozo. Seriously, get one. They're incredible. Whoa, 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 what's a sozo? A sozo, very simply put, is where you sit down and you begin to confront all the lies that are going on in here and in here. You're finding out what they are. Okay, they get uncovered. They're unveiled. Okay, it's like, I know there's lies around here somewhere. I know there. Ah, there it is. I've uncut. There it is. Aha. Okay, now that I see it, oh, there's a lie in my life. I guess I'll just let it sit there. 
No, what do we do with it? We replace it with truth. Come on. You've got to replace it with truth. Otherwise, what's the point? That's what we're doing. It is no longer I who lives, but it's Christ who lives within me. we got to reorient ourselves back to truth. Sometimes we got to do it more often than other times. But you know what? Scripture tells us about taking every thought captive. How many? Every. I mean, maybe like 75% of them. I mean, that's pretty good, right? You know, I let 25% of my thoughts go without any, you know, ID check. You know, I mean, 20, 75% is pretty darn good, right? No. I, I often say this with, with my girls. But I mean, if the whole thing is good and there's just one little bad thing, is that, does that, you know, I mean, doesn't the good things outweigh the, the bad things? All right. Let's take your thought here. Here's a cup of Kool-Aid. 16 ounces of Kool-Aid, which is like 99% sugar, by the way. <laughs> I'm going to take that cup of Kool-Aid, and I'm going to put one drop of pee in there. Just one drop. It's just tiny. It's not much. It's Jerry Seinfeld. It's just not much pee. Go ahead, drink it. I mean, there's a lot of good in there, and there's just one little thing. Come on, it's, it's, it's got to be good, right? Come on, nobody's going to drink that up. That's ridiculous. 25% of my thoughts, no, all. Take every thought captive. we got to take them all captive. And what do we do when we look at them as we're processing through our thoughts? All right, you're good. Keep going. This is truth. This is truth. This is truth. Oh, oh so hold up, sucker. You lie. We don't allow lies up in here. Well, who are you? To... It's no longer I who live, but it's Christ who lives within me. If that's the case, then you darn right I'm going to be guarding this ship. I'm going to make sure that what comes through here matches truth. Okay? So, Jesus says, John 17, we're looking at this all together. He says, he's not in the world but there's nothing missing with his absence. Where are we? In the world. Okay, all right. Now, I don't know about you, but you can hear so many people talking, especially within church. We hear so many people talking right now about how darkness is just increasing. Okay, it's just getting so much more. I remember when I was a kid, and, and you could just, you, we didn't even lock the door. We didn't lock the car door. We didn't even put our windows up. We just, right? We're always talking about how, well, nowadays it's just so much worse and it's so much darker and all this. It's just happening more and more and more. And more. Let me pose this question. Where are you? Where are you? Because if we're not in heaven, right, we, we already got... We, I am seated with him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Yes, 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 yes. But right here, right now, okay? Pinch your neighbor. Feel it. Okay, you're here. If we're here, and we're here right now, okay, then that means, and we're his, then that must mean there's a reason for us to be here. Okay, doesn't that make sense? Okay, so here we go. We're, we're continuing in John 17. He says, but now I've come to you. These things I speak in the world so that they may have my joy made full in themselves. I have given them your word. The word, the world rather, has hated them because they're not of this world. Come on, somebody. They are not of this world. Who's he talking about? Us. They are not of this world. Come on, replace that lie with truth. We are not of this world, okay? He says, even as I am not of this world, okay? I don't know about you, but sometimes if you ever kind of thought, oh, Jesus, man, if you could just come back right now. When I was in college and I had gotten saved just a, a couple, when I got saved when I was 18, there were plenty of times when maybe I had finals or I had some gigantic project that I had to turn in. Oh, Jesus, if you could just come back before the due date, that would be incredible. 
right? Or we're looking at the darkness. We're looking at the way of the world. We're seeing how it's, it's getting more and more stifling and more and more, you know, just, just difficult. And there's all this sin and all these things. Jesus, just come back. And then we even get kind of holy about it. Maranatha. You knew, right? Some of you speak Hebrew or whatever that is. Maranatha, Jesus, come back. Return. But do you know how desperately sad? Do you have any concept of just how utterly, unbelievably devastating and tragic that would be if Jesus stepped in again to planet Earth and split the Mount of Olives under his foot, right? Do you know how tragic that would be if that happened right now? Do you know how many billions, did did you hear, billions, millions are staggering, billions is unconscionable. How many billions of people would go into a godless eternity, separated from the love of the Father for eternity? All because, oh, it's just so dark here. Jesus, just come back. My God, they would never know his goodness. They would never know his love, his forgiveness. They would never know what it is to feel forgiven. That's just crazy. But I get it. Sometimes we get fed up, right? We're just like, oh, Jesus, just come back. So as Jesus is continuing to talk to the Father, as he's continuing in John 17, he says this, verse 15. I love this. He says, I do not ask you to take them. Who's them? Us. I do not ask you to take them out of the world. (gasps) What? Oh, yeah. He's right along this conversation with us. I don't ask you to take them out of the world, God. Oh, no, 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 no. Why? Because if he did take us out of the world, what would happen? There would be a vacuum. There would be something missing. There would be a sizable hole. There would be an absence. Okay, again, I want to ask you the question, where are you? Where are you? What? Me? Yeah, you. Where are you? Me? Yes, you. You know, Randy Clark has this really amazing message that he preached back in the Toronto Revival. And it was called Little Old Me. Anybody know the the, the story? He even wrote a little book, Little Old Me. And the whole premise is what? Oh, shucks, little old me. No, dear God, you all looked at me sideways when I kept repeating three and four different times. You were like, okay, we get it, guy. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives within me. So is it little old you? Is it really? Or is it Christ who's living within you? Are you you getting my picture here? Are you catching my drift? Okay, we just we were declaring this here. Is it really little old you or is it Christ? Come on, we can't have it both ways. We can't speak out of both sides of our mouth. Not only do we have to take every thought captive to make sure it lines up with truth, but we've also got to make sure that what comes out of our yap follows truth. Well, it's just little old me. What can I do? Gosh. No, for goodness sake, you are Christ on planet Earth. Just got to remind us of truth. All right, quickly, in, in, in Matthew chapter 5, many of you are familiar with this, the Beatitudes, right? You're familiar with the Beatitudes. They might even be teaching it in the Kid Nation this morning, okay? These are like foundational. It's called the Sermon on the Mount, right? This is the manifesto of the kingdom of God on planet Earth. I love this, okay? Blessed are the what? The poor in spirit, right? Kind of sounds negative, though, doesn't it? The poor in spirit. How many of you want to be poor? Show of hands. 
kind of hard to see. Let me just get, are you, you got your hand? Okay, no, hi. <laughs> Nobody was back there. This is one of those preacher things, and they're like, is uh, anybody, just let me see a show of hands. Oh, I see your hand. I see your hand. I see your hand. <laughs> no, there's no hand. Nobody wants to be poor, right? Okay, there's a, but we all agree, poor has a negative connotation. Yes? All right, then he goes on. He says, blessed are those who mourn. Hmm. Negative connotation? Yeah. How many of you like to mourn? Let's have a mourning party. Right? You like to mourn. If you're mourning, that means something happened that has robbed you of joy at that moment, and now you're fixated on a loss. Okay, so this is a negative connotation. He then goes on. Blessed are the gentle. Eh. 2023, gentleness is not so much a top drawer thing, right? 2023 is all about gentleness. Eh. 2023 is all about be outraged, be mad. Somebody looks at you sideways, go tell them off. Because you know who you are. Stand up for yourself and make sure everybody knows that you know who you are. <laughs> gentleness is kind of out the window. Yeah? Okay, so not such a good thing in 2023. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst. Hungry and thirsty means what? There's a lack again. Hungry, thirsty, go have some food, go drink something. Well, I can't. It's not there. Oh, there's a lack. Again, negative connotation here. Then he goes on. Blessed are the pure in heart. Do we even need to comment on purity? Right? For those of you online or watching by uh, the replay of the cast, you can't hear very much other than what comes through here. Everybody was laughing and going, <laughs> purity. <laughs> purity in 2023. Yeah, it's a joke anymore. Right? Negative connotation. He goes on. Blessed are the peacemakers. We've talked about that before here. We've talked about the peacemakers. If, you, if there's... Uh, blessed are the peacemakers. If there's not peace, then that means there's conflict, right? If you need peace, that means there's something happening that's disrupting things. Okay, it's a negative. He goes on. Blessed are those who have been persecuted. Who wants to be persecuted? Let's sign it up. We've got sign-up sheets in the back for persecution. Come on, you can sign up for a half-hour block. Okay, we're happy to get you persecuted if that's what you'd like. Okay? Blessed are those who, when people insult you. Anybody like to be insulted? Come on, dummy. My name is pronounced Dumier. <laughs> okay. Oh, 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 but wait, there's more. And falsely call you evil because of me. How many of you, this is like, yeah, man, manifesto of the kingdom. Yeah, bro, yeah, manifesto of the kingdom, this is cool stuff. No, here's the thing. As Jesus lays this out, we can see that every single tenant of the kingdom of God is in total opposition to the way the world thinks and how it views life. Did you catch that? It was a little subtle, maybe. Maybe I didn't make it, you know, clear enough for you. But it's totally 180 degrees from the way the world looks at life. Okay? What we just read, if you were to read this to the world, the world would go, <laughs> yeah. Don't want that. You keep it for yourself, okay? You Christians just kind of do your thing. I don't want any of that. Poor, hungry, thirsty, mourning. Yeah, I'm out. Okay? But listen to what Jesus says. Go, this is in um, uh, Matthew 5, verse 12. Okay, he says this. But rejoice. Oh. <laughs> yeah. But rejoice for your reward. Huh? This is getting better, right? So all these negative things. La -la -la -la. Negative, negative, negative. We love to be poor and, uh, you know, being persecuted. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, it's not so good. But he says, but rejoice. Oh, things are looking up. And then he says, for your reward. Is it, oh, could he take a reward? Okay, so this is really getting good. He says, for your reward in the world. 
What? Did I? I read it wrong? Excuse me while I consult the ancient text. Rejoice and be glad for your... Well, I'll be doggone. All right. He says, rejoice and be glad for your reward. It ain't in the world. Your reward in heaven. What? Your reward in heaven is great. It's what? It's great. Uh-huh. Here, okay? Do you realize that we can only get disappointed when something that we're expecting to come or happen when it doesn't come or it doesn't happen, okay? It doesn't produce its expected result, right? That's when we get disappointed, okay? How many of you have ever been on a working farm? You ever, you ever been on a working farm, okay? Maybe a, a dairy farm, okay? Right, the host settlers, right? Yep, all right, brother. Okay, those were genuine, legit hands that were up, by the way. Okay, uh, my father-in-law, Jen's dad, he, uh, he had a dairy farm. And when we would farm, I mean, I would farm with them plenty of times, right? We did, we did the farming. It was awesome. I loved it, actually. When we would go do the milking, we would go milk the corn. Right? Phil, right? I mean, you go milk the corn. No? Anyone? Anyone? Not even this guy? <laughs> Come on, people. <laughs> okay, all right. so, I mean, admittedly, my father-in-law was a strange dude. You know, it's just, no, okay? The elevator might not be going to the top floor if you're going to milk the corn. Just, you know, for those of you who are maybe city folk and you don't really gather that you don't really go milk corn, it's just, you just don't, you don't do that. Okay, so if you're going to go milk the corn, what are you going to get? Other than a handful of corn silk. I mean, you probably get laughed at. That's what you get. But other than that, nothing. You're going to get nothing. Okay? So isn't it silly for us to say, I'm going to go do the milking today. Yes. And I am going to go over to those ears of sweet corn. And I am going to get the milk. It's pretty stupid, isn't it? I mean, just just be real, right? It's kind of, you know, it's a little silly. You're not going to get much there. Well, guess what? It's even more silly for me to say, after I try to milk the corn, it's even more silly for me to go, that stupid corn. Can't, you know, what a ridiculous crop. Yeah, I can't believe this, the audacity of this corn. You know, I'm going to teach it a lesson. I'm going to plow that corn under. That's right. That's what I'm going to do. I'm going to show that corn. You don't give me milk? Mmm, buddy. I'm going to get the disker out on you, buddy. It, it's going down. Right? You're an idiot. I'm sorry. But just to call it as it is, you're not thinking straight. Because you don't get milk out of corn, but it's even more silly for you to get mad when it doesn't give it to you. Are you with me? Come on. The, the idiocy of that whole thing is on me if I'm expecting this vegetable to produce something that it's not designed to provide. If I want milk, I go to the I go to the store, but you go to the cow. Okay? That's fine. You go to the moo cow. That's that's where you get the milk. Okay? Why? Because cows give milk. Yeah, all right, we're tracking now. Now listen, if I go up to old Moo Cow and old Mooey ain't giving me the milk, guess what? Then I might have reason to be perturbed, okay? I might have reason to get a little upset because that thing is designed to provide milk, okay? I have a reasonable expectation to get out of it what it's supposed to produce, okay? Did you get what I'm saying here? Now, if I'm not getting milk from that cow, you know what I can get? Steak. You're darn right. I'm going to get steak from that cow. 
It's going to get me something I want one way or the other. The point of the story is there is a rightful expectation for me to get what it can produce. But there is also a problem when I am mad and angry and frustrated and disappointed when the thing that I'm wanting it to produce, it can't do. When it was never designed to do that. Do you get what I'm saying? Listen, there is no expectation for the world to provide you and I with any reward ever. Why? Because it is not designed, nor is it capable of doing that. It can't do that. And then I get all disappointed and upset and frustrated when it's not giving it to me. If I'm out in the world and I'm looking at it and I'm getting frustrated and disappointed and I'm trying to find morality and godliness and all these things, I need to understand I'm trying to get milk out of the corn. It's not capable of doing that. Okay? All right, keep that in mind because I want you to look at the next verse here in Matthew 5. He says, For your reward in heaven is great, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who came before you. Okay, look at verse 13. I love this. He says, You are the salt of the earth. Huh? I love it when Jesus is like preaching, and then all of a sudden there's something that comes perpendicular. It's like, you say, what? Persecuted salt. Okay, salt here. You know, throughout the world, Luke uh, 13 is, is a, 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 an area that I, he talks about the salt of the earth. Uh, 14, rather. And I want to look there here for just a moment as we get ready to close. Throughout the word, you, you see salt talked about a lot. Okay? You see salt all over the place. It's assaulting. No, it, it's, it's, it's there. It talks about preserving, right? It talks about flavoring. It's used in the sacrifices. It's used for destroying, okay? But if we examine the, the verses here in, in Luke 14, he says, uh, you are the salt of the earth. Man, I like that guy. Real salt of the earth kind of fella. You know, <laughs> just, you know, <laughs> Just a regular dude. No, 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 that's not what he's talking about. Okay? Interesting, isn't this? He says, you are the salt of the earth. Who? You, me, us, we. Salt of the earth. Okay? Luke 14, 34. I love it. Therefore, salt is good. Who are you? Salt. Salt is good. But if the salt has lost its strength, with what will it be made useful? It's useful either for the soil or for the manure pile. It's thrown out, he says. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. When he calls us the salt of the earth, he's not talking about sodium chloride, table salt. He's not talking about, you know, sprinkle the salt on the popcorn. Yes, Some people put salt on everything. I don't put it on anything. I don't particularly like salt. It's, to me, it's just too salty. But some people put it on everything. Okay, table salt. Put it on the broccoli. Put it on the popcorn. Put it on your green beans. Put it on your steak. Put it on your potato. Listen, that's not what Jesus is talking about here. You're the salt of the earth. Okay, let's go sprinkle you all over these beautiful places where everything is great and glorious and good and you'll make the flavor of it pop forth and yes, oh, it's so delightful. Oh, you can use Himalayan or uh, Himalayan uh, salt and it's just so much better, the pink salt. Blah, blah. That's not what he's talking about. Are you with me? Well, how do you know? Okay, here's why. Has anybody here ever had a garden? Garden, all right. You put miracle Grow, you put water, maybe some good soil, and what? Oh, let me go to my kitchen. I'm going to grab the, uh, uh, the, the jar of salt. Put it in my garden. Jesus said, I'm the salt of the earth. Salt, it's good, so I'm going to put it. That's not what he's talking about. Right? What's he saying? You're the salt of the earth. Go, therefore, and kill it. <laughs> Is that Come on, is that what he's saying? So clearly he's not talking about salt as a flavoring agent. He says, you and I are the salt of the earth. Okay? I got a ton here. I'm just going to blow through because you don't need to know it. But let me cut to the chase. He says, you're the salt of the earth. He said, it's not, if you lose the saltiness, what do you do with it? 
you can't even put it on the manure pile. He's not talking hyperbole. I mean, salt that's lost its saltiness, it is good for nothing. I mean, you can't even put it on the manure pile. No, 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 no. He said that on purpose. Because salt was designed specifically for the manure pile. See, the way they would have fertilizer and the way that they would grow their food in this first century time, and even all the way up through till 2023, is they fertilize their fields. And they fertilize the fields with manure, okay? Manure was highly prized in antiquity for its agents of nutrient value and all these great things. And the animals would defecate and they would collect it in, you know, from the manger. They would put it all together. And when there was an optimal time, they would put it on the field. But guess what? Until the optimal time, you know what it would do? It would sit there. And how many of you know what a big pile of refuse does when it just sits there and it's getting hot? Yeah, it's starting to stink, it's starting to rot, it's starting to ferment, and the very thing that was supposed to be good for the field is what? You put that on the field, it's all going to die. But see, here's the point. They would add potassium chloride. This was a different type of salt. They would add it to the manure, and what that would do was it would get mixed into the manure, and it would prevent it from decaying. It would prevent it from breaking and, and rotting and, and becoming something useless. So they would mix the salt into the manure and spread that on the field and something that was supposed to be death and destruction and horribly just useless now produces life. Jesus says, you and I are the salt of the earth. What does this mean, Brian? What are you talking about? It means that you and I are designed specifically by God to be sown into the refuse, to be sown into where it's dark, where it stinks. We're to be sown into the place where there are times where we can't even plug our nose. It is so nasty. God, what am I even doing? I can't believe this. This is I when I go into work and this whole place is just, oh my gosh. I can't. That's your design for that. He said, you are the salt of the earth. We just rejoice when we hear identity spoken over us. I am the head and not the tail. Woo! That's right. Blessing coming in, going out. My identity. You are the salt of the earth. No. Listen, it does not matter how much we resist this identity. It doesn't change that that's who he made us to be. And when he's made us to be that, when we're thinking that, well, this can't possibly be right. This, can't, this situation that I'm in, it stinks too much. It's horrible. It's not running on all cylinders. Things aren't going right. I can't believe the opposition. I can't believe the things I've got to, to, to deal with. I can't believe the people that I come in contact with. This is so crazy. God, I'm supposed to not be here. I'm supposed to be in a better setting. I'm supposed to this. I'm supposed to that. I'm supposed... Listen, he called us the salt of the earth. And I submit to you humbly that if you find yourself in that situation, things aren't off. Things are exactly as they're supposed to be. Things are exactly where they're supposed to be. Because if you're not there, what is the vacuum? The gap. The gap. And you know who likes to fill that gap? You know who likes to fill that gap? The enemy sits back and he goes, well, let's see if these Christians are going to step into the role that God has, has put them in. Oh, oh no, they're, they're, they're going to resist their identity. They're going to resist being the salt of the... They're going to resist rolling up their sleeves and, and getting in the mess with people. They're going to resist getting down dirty in where people actually live. You mean, really? The, 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 they've just literally walked away and abdicated their role? Oh, well, Mr. Devil comes in and he says what? Oh, well, you're not really a girl. 
you're not, you're not, you, 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 you don't really do this. You, you, because there's an absence, there's a vacuum. That's what we step into. Are you with me? Here we're closing. The good Samaritan. My God. The Levite. Right? Sees the guy all beat up, bloodied. The Levite. I dare not get my holy vestments stained by the filth of this miscreant. He had what was coming to him, obviously. Levite walks by. Ooh. I'm glad that wasn't me. And the Samaritan walks by, absolutely hated, absolutely just the filth of the filth, according to the, the, the Jews at the time. He gets down in it. He rolls up his tunic. He gets this guy, picks him up, takes care of him at his own expense. And Jesus said, who do you think was the neighbor? Was it the priest? Who didn't have the time for it, wouldn't even look that way. Was it the Levite? Was it the church member? Who is there every Sunday, bless God, right on time? Or was it the salt of the earth? See, we got a world that's dark, it's stinking, it's nasty, it's bleeding. All right. I mean, it is all over itself. But our status and our role is never, ever, ever going to take the place of our identity as the salt of the earth. All right. Stand with me, would you? We're going to do a real quick activation here as we finish out. Okay. Holy Spirit, okay, I want you to just talk to him here with this. I'm going to kind of give you some help in this conversation, just Holy Spirit, where have you placed me? Where am I? Come on, ask him to show you. Let him show you in all the glorious detail where you're at. Come on, let him talk to you. Holy Spirit, what stinking, filthy mess of refuse do I find myself surrounded by? And in this place, Holy Spirit, what have you put on my heart that is specific to that mess? What is it that you've spoken to me? Okay, maybe even offhandedly you've said, man, if these people would just blank, it would change the situation. Okay, what are those, what are those things where you have solutions in your heart for this situation? This is what he's giving. This is what he's showing you. Okay? Holy Spirit. Okay, now, when you hear him, when he, when he speaks to you, when you see that inside your heart, come on, how many of you, are you just you can put your hands up where you begin to see exactly where he's put you, okay? You begin to know exactly what he's showing you. Why don't you slip your hand up? Yeah. Amen. Come on. What are those things that he's showing you? In the mess that he has sown you, the thing that we thought was a mistake, man, I got to get out of here as quick as I can. Ah, hang on. You've been sown there on purpose. You've been sown there on purpose because your reward is not So you are seeing exactly what he's showing you. Now ask him, Holy Spirit, what is one action, however small it might be, where I can begin to bring life where you've placed me, where there was supposed to be death, where there was supposed to be rot and destruction and ferment and stinking mess. What is one action, however small, that I can do to begin to bring life because that's my identity. Hallelujah. Father, we thank you. We bless you. We are so grateful that you have called us out of darkness into this marvelous light.
and we walk in the call of our identity. And we bless you now. Amen. All right, church. Listen, our ministry teams are going to be coming forward right now. And I want to invite you, if you have any needs going on in your life, maybe physical ailments, situations, afflictions, whatever the case might be, we are here to believe and see with you transformation. We want to see healing. We want to see change. The things that you have going on in your life, we want to pray with you about. So, ministry teams, come forward. And if you see any folks up here, we want you to get with them and, and receive prayer. Also, we've got the I'm New flag over here where Mr. Andrew is walking right past. And if you are new, we would love to get a chance to meet you this morning. So join us at the flag. But otherwise, have a wonderful week. We bless you.
the tyrone to the earth knows you're a god of love then my dry bones sing a new song for the glory to the god of love all the glory to the God of love, all the glory to the God of love. 